Welcome to the Grace Capital City Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Washington, D.C., working to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. For more information about our church, go to gracecapitalcity.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. I remember the story of when I first sung that song and it was in, gosh, must have been about 1998, 99. Anyone over here born in 98, 99? <laughs> Dylan might have just scraped in. You were just a wee babe, right, Dylan? You were one, okay. And this worship leader named Tim Hughes came. We, we went to Hillsong Conference. We used to go with our church in Australia, and we went to Hillsong Conference. And I remember him singing this song, Here I am to worship. And just, I, I hadn't, I, I was in this season of my life where I was, I felt like I was rediscovering God. And I had an encounter with God, and I actually began to speak in an angelic tongue for the first time. <laughs> just, that's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> But I remember the songs have stories and, and then it reminded me, you know, you, you read through the Psalms and you remember that the people of Israel, they recorded their stories in song. And so they would sing these songs to remember and to remember God and to remember His faithfulness and to remember those moments, to remember the valley and to remember the mountain. And then when you're in the valley to, to, to sing of God's faithfulness again. And so we were just, I was just sitting there. I was like, oh man, I could picture myself as a, how old was I? <laughs> I guess a 19 year old, something like that. And, and just having this encounter and just weeping, just overwhelmed by the goodness of God and thinking I've been in church my whole life and I feel like I'm experiencing the goodness of God for the first time for myself. I just would love us to, can we sing that chorus just again? You don't need to stand or anything, but I just thought it would be a beautiful way for us to, Enter in. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to. ask tonight for that 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 face-to-face encounter again a God who is worthy of our worship a God who is worthy of our affection of our resources as, as we talked about of our very lives Lord Jesus here we are here we are to worship here we are to meet with you again here we are to remind ourselves as we sing of your goodness. And we even sing it into the, the innermost parts of our beings 
the places we might not feel it, we sing it over those. We sing in faith. We sing of your goodness. We sing it over our friends. We sing it over our children. We sing it over our city. You are worthy of our worship. Come and meet with us tonight. We bless you in Jesus' name. And God's people said together, amen. 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 Thank you, David. Let's give it up for David. Isn't he good? Bless David. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 29. It says, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? We, we kicked off our Jesus the series last Sunday, and we, we read that scripture, and I mentioned last week that I think that scripture is supposed to be central to what we're doing in the fall. This moment of encounter that the disciples have with Jesus where he kind of crowdsources for a minute. Like, what do people say about me? Well, they say this, they say that. The world says this, culture says this. Someone else has an opinion about me. And then he looks them in the eye and he said, yeah, but that's irrelevant really, isn't it? What do you say about me? Who do you say I am? And what we're praying for is that every single one of us will have that question and that whether we have answered it a thousand times before, that we will have a refreshment in our heart as we answer it again. I say you are the Christ. I say you are the Messiah. I say you are the Lord, right? And so we're exploring these, these different elements of who Jesus is. So last Sunday we kicked off and we explored the theme, Jesus the truth, the trustworthiness of Jesus. Can, can we have confidence that Jesus is who He says He is? Can we put our faith in Jesus? We talked about, can we have faith that Jesus even existed? Can we have faith that Jesus rose from the dead? And of course, we remember, and actually after the message, someone came and reminded me of this, and this is 100% true. Ultimately, we cannot rationalize ourselves into faith. Faith by its nature is a step, Right? You choose to step into faith. That is so important. We remember that. And yet, I think we still have reason to be confident as we take that step that Jesus is trustworthy, that he is true, that we can believe his word. Tonight, we're going to be exploring the theme, Jesus the Scandalous. Ooh, it just got spicy in here. <laughs> Jesus the Scandalous. That's where we're going tonight. And I, I love this theme for, for a bunch of different reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is because it reminds me that as we're answering that question, right, who do you say I am, that our, our tendency is to want to answer it in the way we want Jesus to be, right? We, we're really good at forming Jesus into our own likeness instead of being formed into his likeness, aren't we? So I, I would like a Jesus that agrees with me most of the time. I'd love a Jesus that fits my worldview, my ideology, my plans, my vision for my life. I'd love a Jesus that would just come alongside me and affirm me in everything I was going to do anyway. Does anyone like that Jesus, right? And yet the scandal of Jesus reminds us that Jesus doesn't just affirm us, he offends us. That, that, that in so many ways, the life of Jesus is confronting and it is offensive. Like even just the revelation of how God appears to us, 
who he, the, the flesh that he takes on, right? Let's, let's keep this in mind for a minute, right? Jesus comes as a Jewish Palestinian refugee. <laughs> like th- that just on itself, right? That is just crazy for us to get our heads around. We keep that in mind. We think about the refugee crisis this nation has been in for a long, long time. We have refugees coming across the southern border, refugees more recently coming from Afghanistan, people desperately seeking a better life, desperately looking for safety for their families. And I hope that when we would look at those people, we would say Jesus came as one of those. Jesus came as a refugee. That is offensive to our our humanity. It's, It's offensive to the flesh to think that God, the king of the universe, would appear to us, would reveal himself to us in that way, right? There's a scandal in the revelation of Jesus. And we start to see that his whole ministry, his whole life was defined by the scandal, right? It was scandal. So you think about his ministry for a minute. Think about the way he operated. I love um, the story in, in Matthew 13, Jesus comes back to the hometown, right? Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. He's coming back to Nazareth. He's going to be uh, ministering in that place. And it says that the people there were offended by him. Now, the word offended in the Greek is this word scandalon, which is where we get our word scandalous, right? Which means Jesus is coming in. He's ministering. He's teaching. He's doing the things that he would normally do. And the people are scandalized by it. Because that's what Jesus does, right? He touches who you shouldn't touch. He eats dinner with the people you shouldn't eat dinner with. He claims he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days, right? This is a, this is a, a ministry that infuriated the Pharisees in so many ways. It was, it was scandalous. Scandalous then, it's scandalous now. His ministry was scandalous. You think about his message. The message of the gospel of grace. That is a scandalous message. If you really contextualize the implications of how we are saved, it is, it's offensive to, to our humanity. It's offensive to our flesh. I, I like the part, and I think most of us do, that there is grace for the oppressed, right? Like, yeah, God lifts up the masses. God comes alongside the broken. God gives grace to those who have been downtrodden. I think all of us are like, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that part of the message. But then we realize there's also grace for the oppressor. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) It's a scandalous message. In fact, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1, he says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The word stumbling block is the same word, scandalon. Paul's saying this is, this is a scandalous message of grace, right? The ministry of Jesus was scandalous. The message of Jesus was scandalous. The death of Jesus was scandalous. A king crucified as a criminal. The birth of Jesus was scandalous. A king born into a feeding trough. In a town, a village, a city, no one knew anything about, right? I mean, this is, this is not how we picture God incarnate would come to us, and yet this is how he comes to us. He shakes our sensibilities. He offends us. The, the very ministry of Jesus is scandalous. Tonight, though, I, I want to press in on a, on a different part of the scandal of Jesus, and I, I think it's, a, it's an element of the scandal that is 
easy to overlook, but I really believe really profound. And I think if we let it, I think it's a part of his story that can be deeply healing to us, even deeply healing tonight if we can open our hearts up to it. And that is the scandal of the legacy of Jesus. Okay? The scandal of his legacy. So I, I want to read a scripture, and I'd love you to turn there with me. It's one of the most exciting scriptures in the entire Bible. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. This is the genealogy of Jesus, and this is what you came to church for tonight, folks. Because you cannot explore the legacy of Jesus without reading the genealogy. And I'm, I'm actually going to read the whole thing. Lock the doors. Um, I'm literally going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to do it quickly. And... Um, I may need some encouragement along the way. So this is the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Wish me luck. Here we go. There's a lot of names about to come at you. Everyone ready? We good? We good? We're going to do this? Okay, here we go. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we're off. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. Great name. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. We are nearly there. Stick with me. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. I think I said that right. Zerubbabel, the Babel, the father of Abud, not getting tripped up now, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. There it is. I think we can all go home. And that's your message tonight, guys. The legacy of Jesus. (laughs) Have you ever wondered why this is included in the Bible? Like, have you ever, you're reading, you're doing maybe your daily Bible reading plan, or I I, I like to do, um, I do a lot of Bible in a day, like the audio podcast stuff, so I'm driving, I'm listening to the Bible, and you get to the genealogies in the Bible, and you just start thinking about lunch, right, and your mind is just a million miles away, it's just names coming at you, and you're like, why, why include these names, why does this matter, and I, I, I want us to sit in this for a minute, because I actually believe that there, there is revelation in here for us tonight. Revelation for the hungry, and I know that we are a hungry church, right? I actually believe that there is some deep healing that God is gonna speak out of the legacy of Jesus into some of our stories. And if we have the, the ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, that this is not just a random collection of names, 
there is actually something really profound and important for us to learn about Jesus and about what he has for us tonight. So here's what we need to recognize in this. And I mentioned this a few weeks back. We were talking about Old Testament passages that are hard to grapple with. I don't know if you remember this. And I'm talking about violence in the Old Testament especially. You know, like genocide, God-ordained genocide, God-ordained violence. So what do we do with those passages? And one of the things, if you were here, you remember, I said, sometimes we need to look in the passage not just for what is the same, but for what is unique in the passage. So what is different in what the story is telling us about different from the culture of the day, different from how the story would normally be told. What is unique? What is distinct? Because it's so often in these point of distinctions, that's where the revelation is, right? That's where God is trying to draw your attention, draw your eyes. And so an example of this would be, think about um, Abraham. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, right? Now, that's not unique, Child sacrifice in that time was common amongst the pagan religions. People were sacrificing children to all sorts of deities. That was common. What's unique, what's distinct, is that God provides a ram. The revelation is about the ram. And of course, we know that is a prophetic symbol for the ultimate blood of the lamb that he would provide generations later. So we're looking for what is different, what is distinct. Now, this is true when we come to this genealogy as well. We're looking not for just what is the same, but for what is distinct. And there is a key thing. There's a key inclusion in this genealogy that is easy to miss, but is, is deeply important here, and that is that women are included in this genealogy. Now, some of you might be like, okay, and so they should be included, right? I, I'm with you. (laughs) But this is a Jewish patriarchal culture that we're reading here where the lineage of a family was always written through the father's line, right? Women were almost never included in genealogies. The wives, the sisters, the mothers, they weren't even recorded. And yet all of a sudden, you have four women who are listed here. Actually, five women if you include Mary, but four women I want to talk about here, three by name, one by reference, that are just randomly included in this genealogy. And I say random because the women that are included are not like the matriarchs of the faith, right? This isn't Sarah and Rebecca and Leah. Like these aren't the women that you would normally think of as the spiritual mothers of Israel, right? These are just four women amongst thousands and thousands of others that could have been chosen chosen that are included in the legacy and the story of Jesus. Guys, we have to straight away say, okay, huh, why? Why these four women? What is, what is the revelation that God has for us in this story? And why would these women be included here? Apparently there is something here for us. So let's have a look at the lives of these women for a minute. So the first one recorded here is, is Tamar. Tamar, okay? We, we read about Tamar in the book of Genesis. Tamar was married first to Judah's eldest son, a man named Ur. He would not give Tamar a child. It wasn't that he couldn't. He didn't want to give Tamar a child. He was a wicked man, an evil man, um, in fact, so evil that God literally just was like, you, you're gone. I'm just getting rid of you. Okay, if you're that bad, God just smites you from the earth. Like, that's a pretty bad sign. 
So this guy gets is smoochen by God, right? So Tamar then, as is the Jewish custom, she marries the next son. I think his name is uh, Onan. Onan also doesn't want to give Tamar a child. He doesn't want to give Tamar a child because he doesn't want to share his inheritance. And he knows that any child they have will, will have a right to his inheritance. So he won't give Tamar a child. And so God smites him as well. So what happens is Tamar ends up tricking her father-in-law, the whole story in Genesis, into sleeping with him so that she can have a child. Okay. Now, I don't care how you cut it, that's pretty scandalous, okay? Like, that is a scandalous life that this woman, Tamar, lives, and she's included in the genealogy. So we've got Tamar. Then we have these other three women, right? Rahab, first of all. You may remember Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was the one who hid the, um, the Israelite spies in Jericho, saved them, and also betrayed her own nation in the doing so, right? This is, that's, a pretty, like, that's a pretty intense story. Second, uh, third one, we have, we have Ruth. Now, of course, Ruth was a very godly woman, but Ruth was not an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She was a widow. She was in poverty. She was picking up the edges of the harvest because she couldn't even find enough food to eat. And for some reason, which would never happen in these genealogies, a foreigner is included in the genealogy of Jesus. And then finally, we have Bathsheba. Now, of course, Bathsheba is part of the royal lineage. But how did Bathsheba become into the royal lineage? She was raped by the king. And then the king murdered her husband. So I, I want us to look at these names. Tamar, scandal. Right? Rahab, I mean, that's, that's a lot. Ruth, to include a foreigner in the genealogy, that's a scandal. Bathsheba, scandal, right? I want us to see here, guys, we have four women included in this genealogy, which would never happen, typically in Jewish custom. Four women. Some of them have been abused. Some of them have had to lie their way to even continue any kind of lineage, right? Some of these women have had to sell their bodies in order to just, just make ends meet, right? Some of these women have been refugees in a foreign land. Some of these women have been abused by men in power, right? We have four women, including these genealogy, included in this genealogy, four scandals, and out of their stories comes the Son of God. There is something that God wants us to pay attention to in the scandal of the legacy of Jesus himself. Where God said, I'm going to include four women in this genealogy, just four. It's going to be Tamar, it's going to be Rahab, it's going to be Ruth, and it's going to be Bathsheba. Four women. When I, um, when I first moved to the U.S., Jessica and I got married. And we lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee for about the first year. You ever been to Chattanooga? You been to Chattanooga? You from Chattanooga? It's, it's a great town. I love Chattanooga. Right there on the Tennessee River is beautiful. 
Um, we, we loved it there. We were there not for a super long time, but really enjoyed our time in Chattanooga. I will say this, though. I, I came from this church in Australia. It had all my community, all my friends, all my ministry. Came to Chattanooga, got married, didn't even have a work visa yet at that stage. And I did not have a lot going on at that time. <laughs> had a lot of time on my hands, which looking back now, I was like, man, I could love some of that time uh, <laughs> to come into today. So I, I just started getting involved in different things that were going around in Chattanooga. And one of the things I got involved in was a ministry called The House. And it's a campus ministry right there in Chattanooga. It's got to know the leaders there. And I just started kind of volunteering. I would lead worship, got involved in their discipleship programs. Just, just I got time on my hands. And I remember this one weekend, they asked me to come on their, on their retreat. So I went away with a bunch of students getting to know all these different freshmen, sophomores and stuff. And I remember this one student. And the reason I remember him so distinctly is because he said something to me in the very first conversation that you would not typically say to someone else. He said to me in our first conversation, he said, hi, my name's Dan and I'm white trash. And he said it with a smile and he's one of those like, when someone's smiling, where you're like, huh, are you joking? Like you're, like, you're not really sure if you're joking or if you're serious. Like, it's so confronting when someone would say something like that to you. You're like, hi, I'm Dan, I'm white trash. <laughs> and you're like, I, I don't know how to engage in this conversation right now. And so I got to know Dan a little bit over the next few days. And I got to know some of Dan's story. Dan, Dan was raised... Chattanooga's right there on kind of the South Tennessee, North Georgia area. He was raised in the North Georgia mountains. Um, when he was 13, his uncle took him to a prostitute so he could lose his virginity. He had seen more domestic abuse than I could even get my head around some of the stories he started telling. Many of his cousins and uncles, they made meth, they sold meth, they were involved in all sorts of illicit um, different activities. He, couldn't, he could not name another family member who had finished high school, let alone one that was going to college. And so I, I began to realize over these few days that when Dan told me he was white trash, he may have said it with a smile on his face, but that's exactly how he saw himself, right? That he said it speaking his truth out, right? He's like, this is, this is me. And you, you began to see, as he was telling me these stories about his family, that the scandal of his legacy had defined him in a really profound way, right? It, it was exactly how he saw himself. It was like he was saying, I am this because I came from this. And I was raised in this, and so therefore... This is my identity. This is who I am at the core of me. And for Dan, you know, he was like the exception. Like he was, a, he was a freshman in college. He couldn't name another family member that had gone to college. 
So in so many ways, he was breaking out and, and, and pushing the boundaries of his family lineage. And yet still, when he came there, his first inclination on meeting someone new was, I, I have to make a joke about how I'm white trash, right? I'm going to say it early just in case someone judges me. And then I'm going to get ahead of the conversation because I'm defined by my legacy. I'm defined by my family. I'm defined by my story. The things that happened before me have made me who I am. My name's Dan and I'm white trash. And I was, I was thinking about the, le- the scandal of Jesus' legacy, right? The scandal of the fact that, that it, for the legacy of a king, the genealogy of a king, there would be included the four, the four women's names who have all come from these different backgrounds and stories that are questionable and abusive and all these different areas. And I, I just was wondering even tonight if there are many of us here and you're like, you know what? I may not call myself white trash, but I feel a lot like Dan. And I can relate to that feeling from where I have come from has made me who I am today. And some of that can be really positive, right? I think there's some of it where it's like, yeah, I'm I'm grateful for that. And yet there are some of us as well. And we look back and we think, you know what? There are, there are patterns, there are stories, there are influences that have profoundly impacted me. I just started wondering as I was reading that, I'm remembering this kid, Dan, that I met all those years ago. I'm just remembering, I was like, I wonder how many of us have felt deeply impacted by our own legacy. By yes, the good, but even, even the scandals, even the stories, even the addictions, even the patterns, even the abuses that have shaped us in so many ways. I just wonder how many of us have felt that. And I, I, I want to speak this over us tonight and speak kind of the, the, the truth of the gospel into this again, okay? Because I, I really believe that the scandal of Jesus' legacy, right? This is not accidental that these four women would be the four that are included, right? This is, a, this is a prophetic picture, a revelation of what God is ultimately doing in all of us, right? It's, it's this reminder, this reminder that even the Son of God, even, even the Savior of the universe, born out of a lineage that included scandal, that included abuse, that included neglect, that included stories that you do not tell at family Thanksgiving, right? Even the Son of God, born out of that stories, and that, that for all of us, we, we have those parts of our stories, right? That we have those things that, yeah, my parents were great, but this, or, or my uncle and other, we don't talk about what happened over here. We don't talk about my grandparents and where they came from. That there are parts of our story for each of us that we might feel shame about, that we feel bound by, and we wonder to what level has this made me who I am today. For some of us, it's abuse. For some, it's, it's patterns of addiction. For some, it's neglect. For some, it's just wrong ways of seeing ourselves or seeing the world or seeing God. And I just really believe that this this revelation that God is leading us into, the scandal of his legacy, is this reminder that that God is in the business of turning scandals into testimonies. Now, that's what he does. He takes 
a scandal. He takes a story that is real and that is hard and, and that, is, that, that, that cuts us on the inside and, and without walking away from it. I mean, you think about it. The, the, the scandalous stories are the ones that, that, that hold us back, don't they? The ones we feel bound by, the ones we feel like we can't get away from, just like Dan, where it's like he felt like his whole family was defined by those things. And however far he got ahead, still he was that. Still my story is just one of scandal. And yet I think what Jesus does is he takes our stories of scandal and he turns them into a different kind of story. And it's a story of a testimony. Because the beautiful thing about a testimony is it's still real. And it's still raw, isn't it? And it's still hard to listen to sometimes. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where someone's just given like a testimony to God's goodness in their life. But the beauty of a testimony is that it's a story that doesn't hold us back. It's a story that propels us forward. It's a story that says, you may have come from this, but you are not this. You may have experienced this, but you are not bound by this. And, and, and Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 12, one of my favorite passages, it says, it says, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Can I just get an amen for that tonight? The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. I, I just even believe right now that the Holy Spirit is speaking a better word over some of us right now. A better story, a better story of your family, a better story of your mind and your heart and your mental health, a better story of your future, right? That's the story, the better word that Jesus is speaking over us. He's taking a scandal and he's turning it into a testimony. And, and you know what? Some of the most, um, some of the people I know in my life that walk in the greatest spiritual authority are the people who have walked through the greatest fires, and they come out the other end with a testimony. And they come out with the end with a story of God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And they come out with a new level of compassion and empathy for broken people and broken places. And they actually have a word to speak into a situation because God took a scandal. God took some brokenness and he turned it around. And he, what are we seeing tonight? Beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. I just think there are some, well, I know there are some scandalous stories in our legacy here tonight. There are in mine. And I know that what Jesus does is he wants to turn them around. He wants to use them in your testimony. There is a, just a, a beautiful, a beautiful increase in authority that God just just imparts over us. David, will you come up with me for a minute here? I, I just even feel like the Holy Spirit wants to just even release some of this right now. I just had such a, we were talking about it in, in pre-service, about just, a, just a, a real healing anointing tonight. And, and I think there are some nights where it's like, I feel like there is a healing anointing, like physical healing. I, I feel like tonight there is a, like a, like a lineage anointing, like a healing, like a, some, some of us that need to be set free again, who need to walk in a greater freedom where you've almost placed a limit on yourself. 
And, and you know what? Here's the hard thing sometimes when it comes to our legacies and our families and our stories is that you can have had really good parents. Like a mom and a dad or, or one or the other who loved you the best they knew how. They gave, they did the best they could and still you can be defined by some of their brokenness. Like if I, if I look at my own parents, right? Beautiful, amazing people. Were they perfect? <laughs> when, I, when I come and I really allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, are there places where I can see their scars were passed down to me? Where I can experience that their brokenness became some of my brokenness as well? Yeah, I can. And so there, there are places that we need to experience freedom, even, even for those of us who came from families where you're like, I'm, I'm blessed, I have an amazing family. It's okay to say, I'm blessed and I have an amazing family and I still need to receive healing from this. And I still have some scandal in my story that needs to be turned into a testimony. Spirit was highlighting the theme of self-worth. Of a, of a broken sense of self-esteem, a broken sense of um, your own worth, your own value. do this. If you, if you say, you know what, that's something that I need, I feel like I need healing from. Something that I've maybe seen broken in my own family. You don't have to do it, but if you want to put up a hand, I'd love, I'd love to just pray for you right now. Anyone here? Okay. Yeah. Alright, Father. Father, we just speak the worth, the righteousness of Jesus right now. And we know that generational sin has generational consequences, but you know what? Generational blessings has generational consequences as well. And so we pray in Jesus' name right now, where there has been uh, low, just low self-esteem, patterns of brokenness, self-hatred, self-loathing, things that are so easy to fall into, where any of that has been passed down through the family line, almost in a, in a sense, like a, almost like a curse. Father, we break it in Jesus' name right now. In Jesus' name, we, we, we speak Hebrews 12, the better word of Jesus into that family line. And we say in Jesus' name, it will not go on any further. And we will walk in the confidence and the fullness of our identity in Jesus knowing who we are and knowing whose we are. We break that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
there's anyone here and you would say, there is a pattern of addiction in my family. Substance. Uh, just There's all sorts of different, a million different addictions. It could be. There's anyone here and you say, that's, that's me. You don't have to put up your hand. I'm going to pray for you whether you do or not. But if you want it, you can. And so Jesus, we know the power, the power of addiction. And we know, we've seen it. We've seen it in uncles and aunts. We've seen it in families. We've seen it in parents. We've seen it in grandparents. We've seen the devastation. And we speak in Jesus' name that addiction has no hold over any mind, over any heart, over any body here, that there is healing. Again, the better word, the better word of the blood of Christ. May there be freedom to walk fully. We are not bound by anything except your love. last one I want to pray into is the theme of failure and uh, this one was big for me I, I came I came from a from a broken home my parents were divorced I know a lot of us experienced that as well and I remember I remember that thought of, of like I, I will never be able to have a good marriage because I'm destined to repeat the sins of my parents, right? And we feel like that those patterns have to be passed down, right? Is there anyone here who just feels bound by, by failures they've seen in their own family? It doesn't have to be marriage. It could be some, in some other way. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just, just release it. Just, just release it. We just release grace. We release confidence. God, where there has been, where there have been curses, even words spoken over us that have become curses, little things said by parents sometimes that are well-meaning that we still remember when they said that thing when you were 11. And it's become a curse to you. They may have said it in love, but it, it has been a curse to you. And it has caused you to believe that you're destined for some kind of failure. Holy Spirit, we just, we just pray healing over that right now. That is no place in God's kingdom. That is no place in the new creation. Lord Jesus, we release healing here. Healing, fullness. A new story being written, a better word being declared over our lives right now blood of Jesus, sufficient, sufficient. Thank you, Jesus. God, would you take the scandals and would you turn them into testimonies? And as you say in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Father, I pray there would, be, there would be an overcoming that comes out of this house. A new story written. God, I pray if there's anyone here and you just, you, again, you're looking back over the legacy and you're looking back over failure upon failure and you've heard the stories and you feel destined. Father, I pray for that new story, that new testimony. Lord Jesus, and may it, may it give honor to you.
May it be a blessing for generations to come. Because God, we believe you are that good. We believe you are that good. The ashes, the ashes of our stories, Lord God, we believe you're just taking them, restoring them into something beautiful, something that you can use, something that we can hold on to, God. We bless you. We bless you. And all God's people said together, Come on, sing that chorus again.